Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hey, before we get started, click on over to entrearchitect.com slash meetup and reserve your free ticket for our annual live event celebrating the small firm architect community. That's entrearchitect.com slash meetup. Go there now, and I'll see you in Las Vegas. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 272, and this week I'm with Jennifer Kretschmer again. She's back, and she's sharing how to hire a 100% remote team for your architecture firm. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and much more at RCAT.com, FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And Young Architect Conference, the architecture conference dedicated to the emerging professional. Jennifer Kretschmer, welcome back again to the Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for bringing me back for another episode. Well, last time we were we were together, we were just just a few weeks ago. So we uh, we were talking about remote studios and virtual studios and remote staff and. Uh, and it, there was more to discuss. And so I wanted you to come back here 
and uh, and talk about it. So let me just remind people who you are. Jennifer is the founder and principal at J. Kretschmer Architecture and Art, based in Los Gatos, California. Am I saying that right, Los Gatos? Yeah, Los Gatos. Yeah, okay. Uh, and she, um, just, just a few weeks back in episode 268, we were talking about the virtual office and she specializes in small project delivery and she has a fully remote team. Um, that's again, episode 268. So I encourage you to go back to that. We sort of talk about, uh, the remote studio and, and virtual studio sort of at a high level and talk specifically about how Jennifer does that successfully. Um, she also shared her origin story. Uh, so if you want to sort of understand where she came from and how she got to where she is, go back to episode 268. So uh, this time I wanted to sort of keep the conversation going, talk about the uh, the remote studio, but specifically focus on the staff. So I want to know how uh, you you, uh, you structure your team, Jennifer, the systems that you're using. Um, how do you find reliable remote staff, the right people in the right seats? Uh, and specifically, what's even probably the most important piece, especially in California, because there's a bunch of specific rules about this, is how a virtual studio needs to be organizationally structured and legally run. There's a lot of legalities to this now. Um, and so I wanted to get into that as well. So before we get started, can you just remind us a little bit, just give us a little snippet about the type of work that you're doing, the type of clients that you're serving, and sort of talk about how your team is structured at a basic level. And then we'll, we'll talk about the, the team that you have. Sure, Mark. My firm is, uh, our, our project type is primarily custom residential under 5,000 square feet. And we also do small commercial tenant improvements under 10,000 square feet. But at, the t- at this current time, um, we're 100% uh, custom residential with all the projects that we have. Um, my staff is made up of approximately, well, I should say exactly seven people, but why I say approximately is they come and they go uh, as necessary on a project-by-project basis. Um, so it's a very flexible work environment, um, and everyone who works for me remotely also works for other people or for their own projects. Um, this is just something that I set up uh, primarily wanting to have o- my own flexibility in my life, uh, and also wanting to promote the uh, life work balance for everyone. Um, so I bring that right into the people, uh, the staff, and the way we structure our culture um, with all of the employees or all of the staff that come and go. So you, you work from home and your staff works from home or wherever they work from. Um, and so can you talk about how can maybe the, the different positions of the people that are working with you um, and w- w- the roles they have and the responsibilities they have? Yes. Most, uh, so everyone who works for me is already a licensed architect. So, and that is one thing that we could really discuss as well as uh, uh, entry level, as well as um, emerging professionals um, in the remote office environment. That might be something good to talk about as well. But primarily, I hire licensed architects uh, who um, are either located in my region or located out of state. Um, and I have had an employee uh, out of country. Um, they were actually a, a local person who uh, decided to go spend four or five months uh, out of country um, and still worked for me uh, while they were in Asia. Um, So 
the way I set up the staff this way uh, with with being able to utilize those people is um, I'd like to have myself and one other person on each of our projects. Again, since we're custom residential work uh, and they're uh, projects that are under 5,000 square feet, I don't need a team of five usually to work on one project. Uh, so two of us is plenty to work on a project. Um, and I usually put that other architect as the project manager. So although I might work with them and do some design work, uh, they may also do some design work themselves as well as managing the entire production of the project. And and so so they basically they're basically project managers. So you you do all the face work with clients. Yes. You do the design work. You do all the design work. I do I do probably about eighty to ninety percent of the design work. Um, but depending on how long a person has been working mm-hmm. with me and understand uh, the design criterias uh, that are fundamental to uh, my firm's project culture, I would say, um, I give them more and more design responsibility. Um, I currently have one architect who's out in Florida uh, who is now getting to, de- to design basically every project that she is uh, assigned to. And does that, does that, is that more about experience or about the relationship between you and that, that team member? That's a great question. It's a combination of both. One uh, that this person or other people who are on my staff have proven to me um, that they can work without my constant supervision uh, and have a good understanding of what's in our design. We have very detailed discussions via uh, video conferencing um, using usually like Zoom because we can share screens. Um, so we are able to talk to each other about the project and, and design, um, and in which case, because that communication is there, that person I can trust to be able to work on the design. So our client criteria is put into you know a, a typical design brief with uh, with programming elements, and you know just like in an office, uh, you can definitely rely on certain people to be able to follow that design brief and programming in order to do the design work as well. And yes, I do do all of the the uh, face-to-face meetings or any of the uh, interactions with clients directly come from me. So they do see me and my name um, constantly on the projects, but they are aware, clients are aware that there are other people working on their projects as well. How did you find the people that are working with you? I have found the people in many different ways. Um, The first person who came, uh, started working for me back in 2005 as a remote worker was actually a remote worker at a firm I was working at back in 1997. (laughs) So this particular person never really felt comfortable being in an office environment, but is extremely good at what he does. Um, So when I decided I needed to get that first uh, worker to help me with production, I gave him a call and he was available. Um, So I had known him uh, when I was basically an intern at another company. Um, So that was the first person I hired. Is he Um, he still with you? Is he still with you? He is still with me. Yes. Yes. Um, the next person that I brought on um, was actually a close friend. Um, we had talked many times about maybe partnering or, uh, you know, merging firms. Um, she had just decided to go out on her own. 
and but she didn't have a lot of experience doing uh, custom, uh, custom residential work and wood frame construction. Um, her primary projects were large uh, institutional and healthcare projects that she had done before. Uh, so in a way, um, I was mentoring her in and how to do, you know, wood frame construction. And so she came in working uh, as as a staff member. And because she was already a licensed architect, um, also at a, at, a, at a higher level, at a design level. And uh, the next person I found um, was actually an engineer who had just left the, uh, the firm that we had been collaborating with. Um, and I said, uh, well, you know, you're going off on your own and doing your own thing. Uh, and you're not, he wasn't licensed yet as an, a structural engineer. Um, and I felt comfortable. I mean, I already had the insurance for it. So I felt comfortable taking him on and taking on the structural component of a lot of, uh, uh, residential projects within the firm. Um, then I found some people on Entree Architects. <laughs> yes, yes. So the Entree Architect Facebook page has been um, a great resource. Um, there are other uh, Facebook groups, um, social media groups that I belong to that I have put the word out and said I'm looking for people with these skills. Uh, would you um, like to talk to me uh, about it? Um, and found some people through social media. So a combination of things. I did once put out an put out an advertisement, and I'll be honest, the advertisement just did not bring in the, the the type of workers that I was looking for. So I think based on what I was looking for for my firm culture, I, I needed somebody a little more uh, advanced, a little uh, high uh, career focus. Uh, you know, their career was a little further along. They were licensed, um, and there were other avenues than just throwing out an ad. Um, to find these people. I, I had to do a little more work is what I'm saying to find the people that I needed. Yeah. They, well, it sounds like most of them came through your network that you sort of either had a relationship with them or you knew of them, um, or they came through some sort of group that you were part of that you're, you know, that you're regularly active in that people see your name, they know who you are. And, and so there's some sort of connection there. So it's not this cold ad that's sort of sitting out there that somebody reads and then, you know, blindly, you know, posts. Absolutely. And and I would say that it's very important as a sole practitioner or sole proprietor that you remain very engaged in your community and outside groups, because otherwise you could end up just sitting at home working day to day and not creating yeah. those connections that will help your firm grow. Yeah, and that's a huge, a huge factor in the remote studio, in the in the virtual studio, is is how do you not find yourself completely isolated twenty four hours a day? Because it really can affect you uh, emotionally, could affect you mentally, and you know you don't you don't have that interaction with other people, so your your skills are not constantly being honed by unless you're actively and intentionally uh, finding ways to do that. So that's really that's a really important Absolutely. point. Yeah, um, yeah. Studies uh, have been done on remote working, and they have found that that is one of the biggest issues with remote workers is not having that engagement with colleagues um, in order to help grow their own uh, career. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons I started the Facebook group um, for Entree Architect is to create that 
that place for you know all architects to find and to be part of a community, uh, but specifically for entree architects, you know, people who are sole practitioners, who are very small firms that need that you know, uh, connection with other architects that are similar to them in, in similar roles. Um, and the same, same thing with the membership at Entree Architect. That's why we built that in order to create a place for people to do those kind of things. Um, so you, so you have your staff, what type of, uh, contractual relationships do you have with these people? Cause they're 1099s, right? They're, they're all independent contractors. So how, what type of, is it long-term contracts or is it a, every project we have to sign another agreement? Well, Mark, I've had to change things quite a bit. Um, as of last year, uh, California, uh, there was a Supreme Court, California Supreme Court uh, ruling on a company called Dynamax that really changed the way independent contractors can be classified in the state of California. So prior to my learning of Dynamax, um, I had very um, simple contractual relationships. I had a great contract that my uh, lawyer wrote for me, specifically for me, um, and made sure that everyone who was an independent contractor very much understood what the rules were both, both ways. Um, you know, as I can't really control their work, they, I'm not daily supervising them. I can't keep track of the hours that they're working. Um, but our con- contract had been on more of a long-term pace- basis. Now with the ruling with Dynamax, the contract has changed to a project-by-project basis. Um, and there are also other requirements that I've had to put into the contract um, that we can clarify a little bit later, but um, that uh, that allows them to work project-by-project project rather than a long-term contract. And so there, the things that you described uh, in terms of having their own uh, place of work, their own equipment, uh, working for other people, those are all specific requirements that the federally the IRS requires, but also your your state in California. And you should check if you're considering this or doing this, you should be checking your own uh, state regulations for 1099 and that type of work independent contractors. What is the actual definition? And make sure that you're checking all those boxes because if you miss just one box, you could have a problem with your with the way your your taxes are are filed. Yes, absolutely. Um, but I'm not. I'm also not saying that um, as a remote having remote workers, you have to have them as independent contractors. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the way California now has the rule, they really should be. Um, you really should be pushing more towards having um, them classified as employees, even though they are working remotely. Mm-hmm. But yes, the rules for independent contractors are what my lawyer has told me is to make sure that they um, work wherever and whenever they want and for multiple companies or clients, that they're under their own control, which includes their own scheduling, um, uses their own equipment, their own cell phone, um, their own software. Now, you're allowed to provide software only if it's proprietary to your company, um, but otherwise they should have their own software. Um, they have to pay their own self-employment and their own corporate tax, um, and we don't withhold anything. 
Um, and that also in the state of California, there's a requirement that the hourly wage ha- has to be two times over the minimum wage at minimum. So if you were doing hourly wages or in, instead of like a fixed fee, it needs to be twice the minimum aid, the minimum wage. That's very interesting. I've never heard that requirement before. That that the payment is dictated that it's double uh, minimum wage. Very interesting. How so? Your your team is all they're all independent contractors, right? There's no employees with your team. With your team, is it? That's correct. And then, so how do you? And you don't have to get specific on this, but how do you pay your employees? Are they are they hourly or are they per project? Is it a big lump sum per project? How does that work? Um, it varies from contractor to contractor. It's what they decide. Um, uh, they set up in in their con- in the contract um, what they how they want to be paid and when they want to be paid. Um, generally, we set up monthly invoices, um, and they send me an invoice, and I pay that invoice. Pretty much the same way as you would consider when you're working with a structural engineer. You get a proposal for them for the project that they are working on, um, and there there is a fee in that proposal. And you pay as that contract tells you when you're supposed to pay. So they send you an invoice. You have to pay within 15 days or something like that of receiving the invoice. So that's the way to work with independent contractors um, is to uh, really think about it in the same way that you would hire independent contractors or consultants, um, other parts of your project, other structural engineers, interior designers, et cetera. Are you using any specific software to pay people or is it just sort of, you know, part of your monthly bills? You're just doing online banking or whatever you're doing? Yeah, I mean, everybody gets everybody gets an official check. The engineers get an official check just <laughs> yeah. after I pay their invoice. We'll be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Young Architect Conference. As you get ready for the AIA Conference in Las Vegas, you don't have to gamble when it comes time to finding great product information. Don't take a chance with uploaded BIM files. Use RCAT's free library of families created by professionals. Why settle for generic or old CAD details when RCAT has up-to-date drawings of real products? Don't roll the dice with an old specification from yesteryear and hope that the products your project needs are still available. RCAT has a powerful search engine and free constantly updated information. That's at RCAT, RCAT, A-R-C-A-T dot com. Hey, and make sure that you check them out at their booth at the AIA conference in Las Vegas at booth 5735. 5735. And listen here at the Entree Architect podcast in the coming weeks for more information about a special event happening with Entree Architect at the RCAT booth on Friday, June 7th. Pop that into your calendar, Friday, June 7th in the afternoon. Check us out. We're going to be there. We'll give you more details in a a little while. You won't want to miss it. Write it down again. The booth is 5735 at the AIA conference under the big red A. Do you remember when you started your architecture firm? It was no small feat. It took many late nights and many early mornings. Bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things a little bit easier now? Well, our friends at FreshBooks 
have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like you. It's simple and it's intuitive and it keeps you way more organized than the dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free today. 30 days, no catch, no credit card. Try it for free at entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Are you an emerging architect? Do you want to failure-proof your career? Then you will want to attend the Young Architect Conference on August 23rd through the 25th in Portland, Oregon. This conference, which was created by Young Architect founder Mike Rasika, is all about feeding your connection and knowledge necessary to truly succeed in architecture as a young architect. That means you'll learn the next most powerful steps you can take after receiving your license. You'll learn how to be a better leader. You'll learn how to build your brand, stand out in a competitive market, use social media, and grow a following. You'll also learn how you can leverage your talent and values to give back in the most meaningful way. You ready to save your spot? Space is limited, so grab it now. Visit entrearchitect.com slash youngarchitect. That's entrearchitect.com slash youngarchitect. And use our promo code entree, E-N-T-R-E, and you'll save $150 when you register. That's entrearchitect.com slash youngarchitect. And use the promo code entree. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Young Architect Conference Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Are there any specific tools that you're using that, that makes your remote team more effective or, or more efficient? Yes. Um, one of the things I find very important is having task management software. We utilize... Um, the Citrix line of products um, that includes file sharing, task management, and uh, e-signature of contracts. Um, so within that family of, of suite of software, um, Podio is our task management software. Um, it allows me to put up uh, information about each job as a contract is signed and gives me a way of telling each uh, contractor when they come into Podio that that project is available for them to choose if they would like to work on it. Um, it also tells you know when the, what, uh, what stage the project is in, what the scope of work is in. I put all that in there, but then also has a, a, a task list um, so that when I say, you know, we need to I'm going to have a meeting with the client two weeks from now, and I'm going to need floor plan, elevations, roof plan, and a model. I can say that in the task management software, and they will immediately get an email that says these tasks are 
necessary on this project. These are the next things that need to happen. Yeah, that project management software is super important for uh, remote teams because that's really how you manage the, the all the information that you're dealing with rather than, you know, you have mentioned in the, in the past episode about about the, the mindset shift from a place to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to get into that again here so people can be reminded of that. But um, that goes for the software too, that the software sort of has to um, respond to that mindset shift as well. That prior, all that information was in file cabinets and it's and it was presented in, you know, photocopies at an office meeting every week, you know, and, and now you have the same uh, requirements, but now your team is distributed, you're, there's no room to, to meet in. And so you need to do that in another way. And, and that type of software, and there's, you know, there's Asana and there's Trello and there's, you know, uh, 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 there's others too. I, there's a couple of the, right at the tip of my tongue that I was going to mention. And I forgot. Yeah. Them. Yeah. There's like Basecamp, Basecamp and Monday, is the one that was, yep. and even within the, yeah, even within the building industry, there's a, a co-construct. Um, what I suggest is try out a bunch of these mm-hmm. um, and find out which one seems to work well with the way um, you your current systems already run. That's the easiest way to make that transition. It's how are your systems um, running right now, and how can you ma- now pull that into using technology and with remote workers? So for me, Podio worked exactly how my brain was working and exactly how I like to communicate things. So that was a great, um, a great tool for me. Yeah. And some of them have free versions to start with. I mean, you probably eventually will need to invest in the software, but to, to give this a try <laughs> with one remote team, you know, team member, a, a, you know, a free version will absolutely do what you needed to do if you wanted to give it a try and, and test out some of these on a free level. Um, Jennifer, the, the, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is about the relationships you have with the people in your firm. Uh, because when you have a brick and mortar firm and you, you come together every day in a room, you start building specific relationships and friendships with the people that you're working with. Um, is there any, uh, first of all, does that happen with you and your team? And is it, is it, does it need to be more intentional for that to happen, or is it not necessary? It's just something that, you know, it happens here, but it doesn't happen here. It really depends on each individual person's personality, basically, mm-hmm. and what it boils down to. Um, I have someone working in Florida. I have never met her face-to-face, but we have lots of Zoom meetings, Skype, FaceTime. Um, we ha- send emails multiple times, work through Podio and the task management system, I feel like I've really grown to know her quite well. And I feel very comfortable with her. And we've actually never been in the same room together. Whereas I have another person who works for me, um, who is local, um, and she couldn't imagine doing that same thing, um, because she really needs that person to person contact. So when we need to have um, meetings, um, she doesn't like this video conferencing. So usually we either meet at a coffee shop or my co-working space, um, or sometimes she'll just come over to my house and, and, and we'll work on, uh, you know, go through the project together. But that person, the person, um, relationship is very important. So I think 
although um, large firms maybe, um, if they wanted to move to this environment, they might just need to downsize maybe the office space, you know, not completely get rid of it. Um, and, and I have my space and you can, you, you've seen through your video conferencing, you can see it looks like a regular office, but it's really only 300 square feet of space. I have an extra desk here. So anyone who feels like they need to, you know, just hang out because we're not calling it working right. <laughs> uh, for zoning reasons. Um, they, they can feel comfortable meeting with me here, including clients meet with me, um, at this, this location, but it's all in my home in the back of my garage. It's only 300 square feet. And, you know, I don't feel like, uh, I feel like I could have 15 people working for me and still just stay within this small space. So, um, I, I think it varies. Yeah. Yeah. From person to person. What about the, the other piece that comes along with that brick and brick and mortar environment? is the serendipity of, of um, ideas and conversations mm-hmm. that, you know, there are projects mm-hmm. that people are working on and you overhear the conversation that that team is having and you can go over there and contribute to that conversation or you walk past somebody's desk and you see a cool sketch and you say, well, what's that sketch about? And that sketch sort of develops into a, this other idea because you had this conversation. Those are some of the things that don't, don't happen with a remote team because you're not walking past people's desks or bumping into people or hearing overhearing conversations. Is there any uh, need for that? Similar question to the last one, but is there any need for that? And if so, is there or is there any uh, way that you're doing that? Is there any sort of intention to sort of have those sort of uh, ideas happen? Um, I, I think that it's not 100% necessary. It is... Um, it is enjoyment. It's great to have teams be able to come together and talk, but I don't think it's necessary for a good working environment or a good working firm. The person who's been working for me since 2005, I mean, he, he's maybe 50 miles from me, so he's not far. Um, we can get together from time to time, um, but that's not how we work. Constantly, we, we, during, we know what our work hours are. So we try not to bug each other at nine o'clock at night, but sometimes it does happen. But <laughs> what, what the serendipity in our environment happens is he's working on something or I'm working on something and feel like I need a little feedback. So we send a text. Mm-hmm. Are you free? Text goes back. Yeah, sure. I get a picture of an image or I get a PDF or I get an email of the thing, you know, and put a red line around it and said, I'm confused about this, you know, and I go back and I red line that up and I either text or email or talk to him on the phone um, or video conference, whatever we need to have that correct connection to solve that problem. So we're still able to solve problems, even though we're far apart from each other. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, most of the time when he and I get together, it's usually just to have a cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you said that you've, some of your team members, you've actually never met in person. Do you imagine in the future that you would ever sort of have a, an all hands meeting where you sort of all meet someplace and sort of just connect together as a, as a team? I think I would. Um, but again, that's up to how to get everybody into that one place. Yeah. Um, yeah. my Florida person is now moving to Maine, um, so she's going even further from California uh, than, than I am, right? So, um, 
So yeah, um, but I have I have the resources to make that happen if we if we wanted to have an all hands meeting. Um, we certainly have places that we can do it at. Um, there's, you know, I'm I'm sure again some companies might be better adept to having things like um, team meetings at a at an outside environment. You know, like let's oh hey let's all right. meet um, like an offsite re- retreat. You know, Exactly, an off-site retreat and get together and, you know, have a few things on our agenda that are work-related and have a few things on our agenda that are social-related. Certainly, you can do that with remote offices, and, and I could see myself doing doing that. But again, I everybody's, again, the work-life balance, everybody's life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do tend to attract and hire people who have big family obligations or, um, you know, uh, mostly family obligations, honestly. Um, and, and, you know, I don't want to force any, anything upon them on their schedule. That's not going to work out, uh, to make sure that they can still accomplish the other parts of their life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we had talked about this in the last episode as well, is that I, I really feel that the, um, the virtual studio, the remote, the remote office is really the future of, of small firm architecture that it, that I think a lot of firms like my firm that was a firm that was brick and mortar with a staff, uh, you know, we transitioned to the remote team. You started your firm as a, as a remote studio. Um, I, and I think that many new studios that are being launched are starting this way, that it just makes sense to start this way. And then if you want to grow into, and I, and I will never say that the brick and mortar studio is dead, um, that there's a place for that and there are people for that. Uh, but this is an alternative way of practicing architecture. And it's, and I don't believe that it's, that it's, um, this sort of unique thing anymore. I think it's part of the profession of architecture that some architects and many architects, and I think eventually the majority of architects will work this way, even at big firms, because I think the big firms will have to flex and transition into this as well. And not completely, but have this option, uh, to do that. Do you feel that same way? I do. I do. In fact, I recently read that Gensler is moving towards a deskless, deskless office model, which seems to me as though it is a baby step towards working to more, uh, more remote office or, de- or reducing the size of, of office, office space um, in that they're going for this deskless model. So no one's going to be assigned a desk anymore. Um, you just move as you can, and since also Gensler's International has multiple offices, you can move from office to office. I think my own personal dream um, would be that, and it has been my dream actually for a long time, is to almost have like a, a co-working or a um, cooperative type uh, place for um, multiple architects to come together and work together and collaborate on projects, uh, project by project basis and be able to just, you know, I need a team of five people because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to do this multifamily project, you know, how would you like to join me on that? Um, uh, so I really, I really feel like that would be the ultimate dream of, of just having, having the ability to pull a lot of people across uh, industries um, into projects, um, and maybe even just having a, you know one space where everybody just commingles. I know that sounds <laughs> quite utopian as far as the architectural world were, is, but I really think it is something that could be possible and could be uh, made to happen. I, I agree, one hundred percent. And there are a lot of people listening to this who are shaking their heads right now. 
And so, and he, or, or nodding their heads, not shaking, nodding their heads, saying, absolutely. I want to be part of that. Um, and so if you want to be part of that, reach out to Jennifer. You know, if you're local to California, you know, do a little brainstorming. You never know where those brainstorms lead. Uh, maybe, uh, Jennifer, your dream could come true after this podcast. See if, uh, see if anybody knocks on your well, door. Maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, I actually do really love my, my co-working space, but it is not very, it's not branded for architecture. There's so many different industries yep. that are located in that co-working space. Um, I, I would, I would love if it was, you know, an AEC branded co-working space. I mean, how amazing would that be? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it could, you know, and it could, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm my mind always goes to baby steps. Like what's the first step that you could do now really easily. And you could do a similar thing sort of as a mastermind, sort of a bunch of people who have that same idea and who want that to happen, but just come together on a regular mm-hmm. basis in a, in a place that's not yours and not dedicated to it, but, but want to sort of start that idea and just come together as a brainstorming session to help one another, you know, sort of like a mastermind group. Um, and then that, you know, could mm-hmm. potentially grow into something bigger and more permanent and find a place. And, you know, that way there's no commitment to it other than, you know, let's all meet in this place at this time and, and talk about architecture. Could be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. So keep me posted on that. And if I could help you uh, make yeah, that yeah. happen, let me know. Um, well, it's kind of why I became the CRAN leader of our local AIA chapter. So, <laughs> so it might be happening sooner than we think. <laughs> so, um, Jennifer, before we wrap up, I want to um, I want to ask you two things. One is I want to ask you the final question that I I, have, I asked you last time, but I want to give you an opportunity to answer it again if you want to. Um, and then I also want because I know that this this topic of the remote studio and remote workers is is near and dear to you, and you want to share your knowledge. And you're actually you are giving an AIA presentation at AIA National at, in Las Vegas in June, and so I want to also share that information out there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with the final question that we ask everybody: What's the one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think the one thing you can do today is start identifying the people that you would love to bring into your firm or to collaborate with. Um, get out of your studio and meet people. Great. That's a good one. Uh, so it's jkretschmer.com, J-K-R-E-T-S-C-H-M-E-R.com, jkretschmer.com. Um, very active on Facebook and Twitter and in the Entree Architect Facebook group. You can join that at entrearchitect.com slash group. We'll have links to everything over at the show notes. This is episode 272. So entrearchitect.com slash episode 272. So Jennifer, what about that AIA presentation? What What is it about and how can people sign up for that and, and uh, hang out with you in, in Las Vegas? Yes. Yeah, so uh, my session is TH104. It's CRAM, the virtual office for the small practitioner and the custom residential architect. It's being held on Thursday, June 6th at 8 a.m. It's the first session of of the first morning. All right. So that's TH104, you said? Yes. All right. We'll have have a link to that on the show notes. Um, So you can just go to click over to the show notes and you'll have everything. You You can connect with Jennifer. You can sign up for the for the AIA presentation, learn more about this. Um, so Jennifer, thank you again. You've been, this is your third time on the show. So thank you for coming and hanging out with us uh, and sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. You're welcome. It's been a great pleasure. 
So this has been episode 272. So if you want to share this link with a friend, if you're putting together a remote studio and you want to hire remote staff, Jennifer's done it. She's done it successfully and she's been doing it for a long time. So this in, in conjunction with our earlier episode with Jennifer, those are the two episodes that you want to share. This episode is 272, entrearchitect.com slash episode 272. And the other episode is 268. So entrearchitect.com slash episode 268. Um, share those. Share those episodes with a friend who might be putting together a virtual studio or hiring remote staff. These are This is a great resource to save for the future. If you're thinking about building your own firm someday and you're not ready to do that, but you want to uh, start your firm as a virtual studio, which again, you've heard me say this over and over again now. I think that's the future of small firms. I think small firms are going to uh, virtually all start this way. And then, you know, if they choose to build, you know, grow into uh, uh, brick and mortar studios, but many of us will stay remote like Jennifer and myself uh, and man, many of our friends in the Entree Architect community. And so uh, these are these are great episodes to uh, to reference in the future when you're ready to start your firm, uh, or if you're if you're a brick and mortar firm now and you want to move to the virtual studio, again these are great episodes for that. That's what we did after after uh, a, over a decade of brick and mortar, uh, we moved to a virtual studio several years ago and moved our staff out to their own homes and their own studios, and we work all remotely now. So these are great episodes to reference in the future. So. Um, I appreciate you for sharing them. That's the way we're growing here at Entree Architect Podcast. We're growing significantly, uh, and it's because you share it. That's the only way we're doing it. I don't do uh, advertising for this, and, and we do promote each episode, but uh, there's, it's growing because of you, because you're talking to your friends and letting, letting them know that, uh, that we're doing a good job here, and I appreciate it. And if you want to tell me your thoughts, I would love to hear your reviews. If you go to iTunes... Uh, or podcasts, they call them now, you know, uh, the, the Apple Podcasts app or whatever, wherever, whichever platform you're using to listen to this episode. Number one, subscribe. Absolutely subscribe so you don't, so you don't miss any future episodes. Um, but leave me a review. Uh, we have over 120-something, 130 reviews on Apple Podcasts. I would love for you to go over and let us know what you think. Uh, we have an old link, entrearchitect.com slash iTunes. We'll still get you there. Uh, entrearchitect.com slash iTunes will forward you to the podcast's uh, app where you can leave a review and a star rating. And I would love to, to hear what you think um, uh, about these episodes and past episodes. So send uh, a review my way and, uh, and, I'll, and I'll read it. I, I read every single one of them. So I appreciate your feedback. Um, what else do we have here? Oh, the uh, Young Architect, uh, Young Architect Conference, definitely register for that. Uh, and the meetup at in Las Vegas. Go to entrearchitect.com/meetup for the AIA Conference on Architecture. We're going to be there. The meetup is separate from the conference, so you don't have to go to the conference to come hang out with us. Uh, but we have we have many many people coming to this now. This is really growing quickly. Uh, this is a great way for the Entree Architect community to come together and celebrate the small firm. Uh, and that's all it is. It's, a, it's an opportunity for you to meet your fellow Entree Architects uh, and celebrate and hang out and have a lot of fun. So go to entrearchitect.com slash meetup to register. You have to register and get a free ticket to join us. Uh, if you don't have a ticket, the restaurant won't let us 
have you uh, attend that. So if you want to come and join us, even if you, you're not sure whether you're going to come or not, go grab a ticket. So if you want to, you can get it. Um, so entrearchitect.com slash meetup for that. You know, if you are an entrepreneur architect who runs or owns your own small firm, then you are an entree architect. And I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share what you know. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. 
gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.